Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Oh, wait, you're listening. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. <coughs> you're listening, listening to Radio Lab. Radio Lab. From WNYC. Yeah. Okay. You know what else I was thinking about? What? We're well into the 21st century. I think of myself as a 20th century boy. Mm. Like, I just, I, I'm a 19-something-something. 19-this, something, 19-that, 19 yeah. 1956, 1960. Yeah. So to be 2020, that's like well into the next one. Oh, you mean well me into feel, the 21st? Yeah, right. Oh, okay. Oh, and you think of yourself as the 20th? Yeah, so I feel a little like deep in a foreign land called the future. Robert, you're a man for all seasons. I, I know, but that, you asked me the question. That's <laughs> Hey, Chad Abumrad, this is Radio Lab. So as we said at the beginning of the last episode, here at the end of the month, Robert will be retiring from the show. This is something that he and I have been talking about for a while. It's something we've been talking about with the staff for a while. And for the last few months, we've been trying to figure out uh, as a team, like, how do we send him off? What's the right way to say goodbye? And we decided, um, let's interview him. You know, the way he and I have interviewed thousands of people over these last 17 years working together. So I made a list of questions. We've written them down on your phone. I have. I prepared for this <laughs> conversation as I would any other. I suppose that's very professional of you. <laughs> All these different questions about the places he likes to go uh, in the city. Uh, There's a series of questions about Robert and dating apps, which I'm not going to explain. Um, but it was actually the first question I had written down that ended up taking us down some unexpected paths. So let me just ask you, what are the Bobbies? <laughs> the Bobbies is a little bit of a quirk. I uh, decided at some point... Well, your name is Robert. That's right. We sometimes call I you would, Bobby. That I would create a, an award like the Oscars, which I would name after myself, yeah. called the Bobbies. When did the, when was the first Bobbies? I think it was in the early 70s, and I was thinking of awarding things that I... And, and the rules about the Bobbies were I would have a audience experience. I am the audience. And I would then award the person who created that experience a Bobby. And the difference between me and the Oscars and some of the lesser awards is that I would award the creator of it whenever he or she did the act of creation was not important. It was when I consumed it. I see. So you could have a Bobby in which Judy Garland, you know, for uh, playing a, a role she played in 1939, would be up against somebody who played uh, a movie that was like two weeks old. So Charles Dickens could get a Bobby. Well, Charles Dickens would always get a Bobby. This caused all kinds of problems because <laughs> there were certain Charles people. Dickens a Bobby? Charles Dickens, as soon as he would walk into the room with the book, like all the other authors would say, well, I don't see why we even have to write books anymore. But I, so, <laughs> so I would, then my wife decided that I had, because I have always had a very, very weak um, memory system, <laughs> I found myself awarding things that mostly I had consumed in the very end of October, early November, the awards being given in <laughs> Thanksgiving. And I could not remember anything that I had seen in January, February, or the previous December. So she's decided to give me a Bobby book. Oh. You brought the Bobby's book. I did. Producers Bethel Hopte and Matt Kilty had Bobby Kay bring in his Bobby book. It's a black book with a red binding. It has in gold a picture of the Bobby statue, which is Bobby. Uh, with to all the winners written in it. So it starts in 1977. Wow. This ripped page was because one of the consultants, my wife, 
got so angry at me for not letting her be part of the deciding group that she ripped in a temper tantrum the page out, which that... Why won't... Why didn't you let her be part of the because process? Because it's the Bobby book, not the <laughs> Bobby and others book. But, that, so that, this here is just anger frozen in time and place here. <laughs> 77 seems to have only winners. It doesn't seem to have any contestants. Lives of a Cell by Lewis Thomas, one book of the year. Still Crazy After All These Years by Paul Simon Run's Song of the Year. Friendly Fire from the New Yorker by C.D.B. Bryant, won Best Magazine Article of the Year. Um, somebody named Heiglin, who wrote Climbing Swiss Mountain in the New Yorker, won Best Short Story of the Year. And Annie Hall by Woody Allen won Best Movie of the Year. For Colored Girls Who Considered Suicide When the Rainbow Was Not Enough won the Play of the Year. The Ritzy Forte Award was not awarded that year. The Ritzy Forte is the name of the special award for Best Cartoon of the Year. No winners that year. None. Did so you? that's 1977. And then 19... Did you do my year? Can you do yeah, 1990? 1990. The years passed, and I would put in the winners. Play of the year, Six Degrees of Separation by John Guare to all the different categories. 1979. Best book of the year, The Press by A.J. Liebling. Performance by an actress, Fernanda Montenegro. Best movie of 2005. Oh, you were a big fan of The Notebook. I was. I cried during The Notebook. And I would announce them sometimes to the winners themselves, which is always a little bit of a mixed sort of thing. And then, you can imagine. And in my mind, of course, there's a red carpet and it's flush, and there's you know there's a tremendous <laughs> paparazzi. No, wait. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. So when you were awarding Bobby's, was it always to esteemed people? Was it to the, no, the no. or could it be to just Joe who makes a really good yeah, falafel? Yeah, it could be to Joe. Verdi's Requiem as sung at Andy Crowich's birthday. Oh, this is my first cousin when he turned sixty, rented a chorus and sang the bass part in Verdi's Requiem. <laughs> but there are other things like I, it's, there's some things where I, I give a, like a special tribute for a, like a kind of lifetime achievement award kind of thing oh, really? to various architects and cartoonists and also there's moments <laughs> Bobby moments? moments are moments in my life that year where I had a feeling of just glory or just joy or can you read some of the other yeah Robert? let's see 2000 in Times Square yeah. um, <laughs> Redwood Forest that's uh, with my wife. What else does you see there? One says, at my mother's bed, April 2006. That's when she died. That right. was a, why was that a moment for you to be, like, what well, was... Well, she was watching uh, Jeopardy, and I hired a person to take care of her that night, and I walked about seven blocks, and I got a phone call. And she was doing really well in Jeopardy, and the lady who had never met my mother before said, I think your mother just died. So I ran back, and she was dead. And, uh, you know, that was completely a shock. I mean, she was sick, but I, and she said she was kept saying, I'm going to die, but she was into that sort of thing from, for at least around. And so there she was. She was dead. And um, I sat on the bed looking at a woman who was still warm. It was my mother. You know, that was, that was a moment. And the moments don't have to be, like, always pleasant. They mm -hmm. can just be searing or, you know, things that you never will forget. Um, You're telling me, though, that moments before she passed away, she was answering Jeopardy questions yes. correctly? Can you imagine? Like, that's a know. really great way to go. Kicking like, ass she, at Jeopardy? She was doing really well at Jeopardy. But I don't know as I got older, it gets really a little bit surreal. As it, as it got into the into the 
more recent years, it gets alarming because the book begins to run out of pages. I was getting down to the last 13 pages. This is the same book from 77? Yeah. When it gets to 2018, the book stops. Like, they were out of pages. Mm -hmm. So I said to my daughter, look, Nora, if the Bobby book ends in 2018, isn't it follow, perhaps it's the night, the day, that your father will end in 2018? (laughs) So she ran to the deepest Brooklyn and found a book binder and said, could you like double the Bobby book and rebind it? So my father could live longer. So my father could live longer. So now look at this. This is this is means that you're gonna have to deal with me for all these years. Are you troubled that you didn't add even more pages? <laughs> no, I this looks like it covers like, till about 2055. Yeah, you might be, yeah. yeah. 20, well, by then I'll be like 90-something, so yeah. I'm, a, I'm a, a 2047, I'll be 100. So I don't really think I want to go that far. So this looks just about right, actually. And then it'll have the feeling, perhaps, unless I get run over by a truck, of like, you know, pretty much being a life well-lived, or rather well-consumed with all of these rewards. It's also compressing, like, your whole like uh, adult years into like a tiny book which makes it feel a lot shorter and smaller than it actually was like well there's i mean that's an interesting subject to me like there is a fellow who invented a thing called mathematica he is he lives in new jersey at princeton and he loves to just measure himself so he'll send me the number of times he touched the letter t during the month of may on his computer (laughs) what (laughs) or The amount of hours that he slept, the amount of hours that he ate, the amount of hours that he showered, the amount of hours that he um, was on the telephone for the whole year, you know, worked out. And then he sends me all these bar graphs and stuff. But different people, you know, um, different people reflect differently about themselves. And, you know, for a person who's very mathematical, like this guy, it makes sense to him, a deep sense, that he can be expressed in data points. And I don't know, he feels them the way I guess a great mathematician who loves pattern feels. So he sees the pattern of himself. In my case, this is called um, when I enjoyed myself extravagantly, whether it was reading or going to see something or having experience, or whether I felt the intensity of being alive, that's a different kind of measure. And someone else would, you know, write a memoir or a letter to their grandchildren called, well, I remember when your grandpa... So there's thousands of ways to do this. And to some degree, this is not the most flattering thing, (laughs) to some degree, my particular form of compression. Either it's a self-help book to keep me, you know, comfortable in my very old age on the Atlantic City boardwalk. That's that's what I prefer to think of it as. But viewed another way, it's... um, a person who never much left his own circle of joy and just stayed inside himself and flattered himself right down to death. That's less of a good advertisement for oneself. Or this might be just, you know, someone with a deep learning disability taking notes. (laughs) 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 Yeah, right. Live from 85th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City, it's the 45th Annual Bobby Awards. With your host, the judge, juror, and executioner, Robert Bobby. Wait, have you ever done anything yourself? 
where you quietly think it should win a bobby? No. Or does that violate the very rules of the bobbies? Well, it, it also goes to something that I just feel, which is like, I, I've been really lucky up to a degree that I can really can't quite understand. I've had a chance to go into one place after another, some of them quite straight places like ABC News and um, Frontline, places like that. And I've pushed it so that I could do what I like to do, which is to um, explore, sometimes from a not particularly sophisticated place, what I'm looking at. And it's fact, it's sort of always been a sense that I've had that I must have been um, a little bit slower than everybody else. And I felt that way. And I thought, well, maybe what I could do is I could take that slowness and turn it into an advantage because for many subjects, depending on who you are, it could be ice hockey or it could be economics or it could be irregular verbs in French or whatever, mm. there most people know nothing at all. So yeah. if you want to talk about irregular verbs, you might have to say, here's what a verb is and why, why would you use the word irregular? What, what is a regular verb? And yeah. the ordinary questions. I've always done that. But it's never seemed to me to be the champagne of work. It just seems to me to be the my, my daily business. That being said, Robert, mm -hmm. what we have decided to do as a staff is that we're going to honor you, my friend, with some bobbies. Of course, it is not within our... <laughs> we are not... We can't, we can't do no, the... No, that no, is but, completely illegal. But, but and, and the committee would no, simply tell you to go home. No, no, but we're going to do hyphenated bobbies. We're going to do... Oh, okay. uh, jaddy bobbies. Jabobs. All sorts of staff bobbies. These are these are bobbies to, that where, the, where these are awards, bobbies given to you, okay. moments throughout your career and moments throughout your, um, your tenure with Radiolab. I don't know if this entirely... I think Pleases it's me, I, well no I think it's going it's going to be I mean look we, okay. we we we've spent 17 years together Yes we have I'd say at least a decade of it separated by this <laughs> two <laughs> feet of glass. plexiglass Yes uh, <laughs> and uh there we've we've created a lot of radio moments and so we're going to honor some of them with bobbies Okay <clears throat> Tonight the inaugural Bobby Jetty Bobby Steph Bobby's Award Show with your host and presenter, Jad Ebenrod. The first category, Best Pre-Radiolab Story. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so, okay, here, I have a little bit of, as a presenter, mm -hmm. there's so many stories, pre-radiolab stories, one could nominate for a Bobby. Mm -hmm. The uh, the judges have... Um, well, who were the judges? This is like a gang? Rachel Cusick has chosen the, in, in she was the judge in the mm -hmm. pre-radiolab category, which is a, a Cusick Bobby. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... Have you ever wondered where the word turkey comes from? Sure, you have. <laughs> there are many turkey stories to choose from, apparently. We asked Robert Krulwich to find out, and here's his report. Well, like a lot of things in this world, the turkey got its name entirely by mistake. Oh, I did a lot of Thanksgiving ones, yes. Turkey. 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 Think that the turkey has suffered enough. So don't you want to hear the end of the mystery of the turkey story? Uh, we're running out of time, Robert. 
All right, well, let me just tell, uh, let me just finish my mystery. Okay. You've always been big I, on on the anniversary stories. No, you know why? Because the holiday season in commercial television and even on NPR gives you a chance to do anything you like inside the category. No, I know. I remember you you did a, a, a just a whole slew of stories around Mother's Day. Yes, I did. Like oh, thir- and, and you would I remember when in the early part of our of our uh, the radio when you were just coming on for the uh-huh. first time, yeah. you'd always be like, "Oh, we could do it for Mother's Day." And I'd be like, "We don't <laughs> right. we don't do that." I know Robert. we don't do that. We don't do the anniversaries. No, but see, those anniversaries are the days when when you're allowed to put any it's you just when you put not newsy things onto the news. Like the news people say, what just happened? What just happened? What just happened? And then on Mother's Day, they go, mommy. So that's an always category. And then you get to do always. Yeah, I know. See, that's 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 why those things are useful. Well, so the winner of Best Pre-Radio Lab Story has nothing to do with Mother's Day or with turkeys. It is, in fact, a story from 1977. NPR's Robert Crowwood saw some strange markings on the back of a $5 bill, and he investigated. That we're calling $5 Bill. As soon as she came into the room, I smelled trouble. This dame had a nose like a toothpick on a face like an olive. She was tough, she was smart, and she had a problem. I could tell. I'm a private eye. I told her I had nothing but time. Lady, I got nothing but time. She took out a $5 bill, laid it on my desktop, smoothed it out real flat, and then she spoke. This here's a $5 bill. I could see it was, and I said so. Lady, I can see that. She took a long drag on her silver thin, and I got a whiff of her Chanel. Look, Chuck. She called me Chuck, though my name isn't Chuck, but I like that in a woman. Chuck, I like privacy. Yeah. I got an unpublished number. Yeah. I got an unpublished address. Yeah. I got blank plates for my Bentley. Yeah. Like, so, so. What the f- is going on? <laughs> this is a, this is what those film noir things sounded like to me. <laughs> no, but it's like what? I, it's a, okay, so only does one discovers really about three quarters of the way through this that the whole piece is about some mysterious secret message in a Shadows bush. Shadows in a bush, yes. It, some 92, on the back of a something, $5. 92, yes. There was numbers written on the bush yes. next to the Lincoln Memorial. There was a theory that the artists, you know, the Bureau of Engraving hires humans, artists to design it. And so I was tipped or must have read in a collector's magazine, who knows, that, that the $5 bill contained a secret number and all I had to do was look for it. And when I was shown where it was, I couldn't not see it. It was always there. So that's a perfect radio story. You get make everybody listening. You take out their five dollar bill and see the thing <laughs> that they will see because I saw it. And but it wasn't it actually a, a numbers on the back of the five dollar. Yes, it was. was. If you choose to no, see the shadows that way, you use one piece in a in a five and a half minute story. Uh, you use one six second bit of tape of some actual person <laughs> okay. who, who is looking at the at the five dollar bill, not seeing the number. Oh, not seeing it. Not seeing the number. He sees a different set of numbers than you see. Okay. And you argue about what numbers are there, which leads me oh, as a listener okay. to believe that actually then. it wasn't. It wasn't as obvious as I remember. No, that it was maybe. Yeah, well, you have me a disadvantage because that was like 40, 35 years ago. But uh, but what's amazing about this is that it's it's so entire. Like the, the whole point of it seems to be for you. To, to play have, all those characters. To play all those characters. <laughs> it doesn't seem... Well, also, it was a chance, I guess, for me to make a film noir, like, of my own. I could just make I one just of the Humphrey Bogart movies for myself. I just think that's amazing that you're... you're uh, you go... That, that I don't even know what the story is about until three quarters of the way through. But I'm still riveted. Yeah, well, 
I think it's a little magical to me when you listen to NPR these days hmm. to um, remember that when National Public Radio started, it a wasn't much listened to, wasn't highly esteemed. That's very important, and what didn't have any money. Hmm. Those three things put them together, and they had a ninety-minute show to do every single day. And there were things that we used to do on All Things Considered that you know I don't think would I think they would m make people's people poop in their pants if they heard them now. The next category, best improvisation. Best improvisation. Because one of the things that I, one of the things certainly that uh, I will always, see, I always have, it, were it not such a cliche, I think we would do, we, we could do the best blooper reel of any show in the history of media. But mostly when you get on a, when you catch a wind on something. Like Dan, De, Dan, De, Dan, Dan, De, um, Dan DeLorio or whatever no, it's called. Dan Dilly, what is it? Don, Don Hmm. <laughs> I never thought you, I was on YouTube. Dan, yeah, Doral, Doral D. Danny or something. Doral. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was, I always think Tamar feels like relieved that you have that you have to endure some of these little ticks. Just, <laughs> maybe you're like a Toretta, you know, and when you hear like too many consonants, well, you just can't get them out of your head and just repeat them. And poor Jed has to listen to them in the studio over and over again. <laughs> Better yet, we, were, we they're they're immortalized on tape. Oh, so you save some of those? Oh yeah, there's so oh. many. So I think that the um. One of the uh, nominees is a consonant pileup. You battle oh. bird battle between Bethel. Bethel does it's bird <laughs> battling with Bethel and beauty. It's the B show. Bob and Bethel battling about birds and beauty on Video Bab. <laughs> there was some throat clearing singing. I see, I see, I see, I see. Father and son, they have their own company. Yes, they do. <laughs> was that the line I needed to do? Yeah, that was the line. Father and they're in a family business. Yes. Well, the winner in this category, I believe, is uh, Slinky Credits. Slinky Credits. Thanks, big thanks to Steve Strogatz, professor of mathematics at University of Colorado, which is not really where he is teaching because it's called Cornell. But it's those C colleges, you know, Connecticut and Connecticut College and Community Community <laughs> of Kansas, which is the C, <laughs> the C kind of Kansas. Those are all the colleges we like to think of as the big C. C is for cookie. That's good enough for me. I'm Robert Collins. Big thanks to Steve Strogatz, who is a professor of mathematics at Cornell University. His new book is called The Big X. Joy of the, X. Or The Joy of X, which is like the joy of sex, but it's missing the S. And the E. And the E. And the fun. And the fun. <laughs> and the sex. And the sex. <laughs> but you get the last letter, which is, of course, the only thing that really matters. As many copulating couples have always said at the end, you know, just before the cigarette... I really like the X part, and I think we all agree with that. <laughs> That's going right in there. <laughs> That's funny. No, so so let's see. Joy of X. Yeah, Joy of X. Big thanks to Steve Strogatz, who is a professor of mathematics at Cornell University in Ithaca, New York, and he is the author of a new book called The Joy of X. And to the Slinky Company, manufacturers of fine coiled objects worldwide. Kiernet, Pirskal, we in every one of your local Target okay. stores. Okay. <laughs> you're, you're such a weirdo. <laughs> that, uh, yeah. Oh, my God. So that was the winner in the category of the best improvisation. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so in the next category, 
This one is, I think, a little bit more pertinent to the spirit of the show. Best question. To, to set this one up, you've heard me say this before, one of the most kind of amazing qualities of, of working with you is that you always consistently ask a question that I would never think to ask, hmm. but then suddenly must know the answer to. And in this case, it was one of these things that you threw out in the middle of an interview, and it became the basis for the best loved moment in our most downloaded show of all time. Oh, this is the shrimp. The shrimp. So we were, we were talking to this scientist, asking him all these questions about how we perceive color and how color is sort of outside of us, and yet we only make sense of it internally. And in the middle of this interview, you just tossed out. Well, here's a question. If a dog and a human and a crow were to be staring at a rainbow, would they be seeing very different things? That was it. Yeah, I remember that. I was just like, I I remember the, there was that, when you asked that question, all of a sudden we were like, huh, (laughs) would would they see the same rainbow? Would they be doing, but I I remember we lived with the question for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then what ends up happening, of course, is that I go up to a church in 33rd and 8th. (laughs) 120 people sing the colors of the rainbow. (laughs) And it was a funny thing. It's a funny thing to be standing up there in this beautiful church, conducting all these people as they're singing, and think, all of this began with some weird... (laughs) moment in a studio where Robert asked the question. Like, your questions so often lead to the weirdest stuff. Well, that's nice, though, right? Like, it's like, it's nice that we can, we can get loose enough to go where someone maybe has never gone before, or at least, you know, at least we haven't gone before. Yeah. I think that's really, uh, it's one of the things I'm going to miss, is that that um, I mean, listening to that guy who was the five dollar bill, like that was like that was me sort of delivering my idea of what a you know a, a nineteen twenty nine right. or nineteen thirty nine right. detective you know Marlowe story would be like, but I kind of worked that out in my head as I as I did it with us. I I never knew what was going to happen. Yeah. It really was an improvisation. That's what I'm going to miss, actually. Yeah, like That's that was what I'm really. Miss. It's that thing, it's like, yeah, it's like that thing of, uh, I, I still can't after 18 years predict what you're going to say. Nor can I. Or what you're going to <laughs> find interesting. Yeah. You know? Well, sometimes I can insist that it's interesting and you will not, like snail sex has been the, the, has been no, the, the thing that separated us for so many years. It's, it's a, it's you're a line so wrong too, in the you know? sand. I don't know why. There's just something wrong with you that you don't feel that that is... <laughs> So worth investigating. Maybe that should have been the last story. The last story should have been snail sex. Yeah, I don't know, but that would have been... Okay, well, give me your best pitch. What is so damn interesting about snail sex? Everything. Go. These are two ardent, ardent, loving animals. The sex is slow because they're hermaphrodites, (laughs) so they are both male and female. Now, this is hard for us to understand, but imagine if you were both the male and the female in a tryst 
with a animal that was also a male and a female. So part of your boy part wants part of their girl part. Part of your girl part wants to avoid part of their boy part. And all of this takes a lot of thinking. It's you mean also, just like, or like who, who's... I'm going to hug you here, but do I right. want to hug... Do I want to be hugged down there? I And this is like in the same individual because snails are both male and female at the same time. So that's hard. And then the fact that you're doing it under the sun under the sky, and who's in all the trees above them? The the animals that want to eat them because they have no sh- they have no way to protect them. They have to leave their shells to have the sex. So, so you're slow. exposed, you're slow, it's you're in danger, it's confusing, and you do it anyway. That sounds like all, all species. It's especially, I think, when sex wanted the poster child from, from the animal kingdom to like, when we're good, when sex is as good as it gets... Who knows it? Snails do. <laughs> there you did it. <laughs> you did it. Okay. So where are we going with this? I don't know. <laughs> On to the next category, the next, okay. I guess. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, next category. Best laugh. Best laugh. Yeah. This is, um, I mean, we're going to give you a Bobby <laughs> for having the best laugh of all the humans. There was a good, there was a lot of things to laugh about. That's for sure. Yeah. But so I believe uh, our announcer, David Gable, has the nominees for this category. The nominees for Best Laugh. Snort. <laughs> Hearty Laugh. <laughs> Chortle. High Laugh. <laughs> Yucks. <laughs> laugh with Insight. Yes. Ah. Quiet Chuckle. <laughs> Strange Chortle. <laughs> Natural laugh, <laughs> social laugh, Santa laugh, <laughs> whisper laugh, uncontrollable laugh while reading ad copy. Future of heart. Download. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> the future at heart. <clears throat> Hi, I'm the future at heart. I'm supported by Target. I'm presenting to you the future at heart in Washington, New York City, um, and more. <laughs> it says so little, so badly. <clears throat> but we will try again. I'm trying to get myself sober here. Hi, I'm Robert Kroll, which Radio Lab is supported by Target. Presenting future. <laughs> 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 future and art. Future and art. Future and art. Future and Okay. Get out of your system. <laughs> I did have trouble reading some of those oh ads. God, like they so were funny. some weird copy in those ads. Um. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so that that last one was our winner, uh, but. Do you want to know something, though, about the laughs? Mm-hmm. So, like, back in the early days of the show, so much of the show was being put together in the edit. And what, we, what we'd end up having is, like, chunk of Robert Jad conversation, chunk of Robert Jad conversation, chunk of Robert Jad conversation. And there'd be these big gaps between them. And we would need to replace with other conversations. And so I would scratch in the connecting tissue. Mm-hmm. Which occasionally, like, would mean having to say something that you would that you would chuckle to or react to. So, what we did at a certain point is we 
we went through a bunch of interviews, combed through, plucked out a bunch of your reactions and laughs and various things and put all of them into a folder. And so I've had this folder of your laughs for about 10 years. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I have a folder of your laughs. I have a folder of your affirmative reactions, your negative reactions. I have yeses, noes. Oh, my God. I have a whole folder of, hmm. <laughs> I have a whole folder of those. Wow. But I would take your laughs, like when I was editing really late at night. Mm-hmm. And I was really stuck, and I was very uh, disheartened, as one gets mm-hmm. at 1 a.m. when you're trying to make a story yes. work, and it's just not working. And I would just, I would put all your laughs in iTunes, and I would just play them back to back, and it would cheer me up. <laughs> really? Yeah. I would, it would cheer me up, and it would make, it would remind me that we are making a conversation. Because sometimes you forget that when you're editing, yeah. you, you start to make oh, it into Oh, that's very nice to know. Yeah. So uh, that folder nice of laughs is very, uh, very important Therapeutic to me. Therapeutic laughing folder. Mm. Huh. Yeah. Wow. So I think what we're going to do, uh, we don't have a ton left to, to do, but I think what we're going to do is take a quick break and then come back and finish the awards with a bang. Okay. Coming up. A singular spectacular performance from Lady Gaga with Kenny Loggins, Richard Simmons, the cast of the hit movie Cats, Cisco, Scarlett Johansson, Beyonce with Destiny's Child, Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker, Steven Spielberg, and Diddy all on one stage singing one song and the first ever Jaddy Award. That's coming up. Stay with us. Hi, this is Emily, and I'm calling from Toronto, Canada. Radiolab is supported in part by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. More information about Sloan at www.sloan.org. Thanks. Radiolab is supported by Babbel. Sometimes self-improvement can feel like a pretty overwhelming journey. So what if this year you just got a tiny bit better every day. When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. Babbel is a science-backed language learning app with quick 10-minute lessons that have been handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. You can learn everything you need to have real-world conversations, café s'il vous plaît, from vocabulary words to culture and more. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a few months or a full year. Here is a special limited time deal for Radiolab listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Radiolab. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash Radiolab, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Radiolab. Rules and restrictions may apply. There's a lot going on right now. Mounting economic inequality, threats to democracy, environmental disaster, the sour stench of chaos in the air. I'm Brooke Gladstone, host of WNYC's On the Media. Want to understand the reasons and the meanings of the narratives that led us here? And maybe how to head them off at the pass? That's On the Media's specialty. Take a listen wherever you get your podcasts. Jad, Robert, Radiolab, back to the awards. Okay. I would like to, uh, this is going to be the, um, the first ever uh, Jaddy. Mm. 
I would like to award a jaddy okay. to you, Robert Krolwich. Uh, and I was trying to think, what would my jaddy be for? And I, th- I was trying to isolate a moment, mm-hmm. a story, a uh, maybe like okay, the, the the four tours that we've been on together, maybe something from there. Mm-hmm. Lord knows, there've been a million things that happened on those tours. A lot of things. Uh, then I was thinking of all the like hundreds and hundreds of stories we did. Is there like a particular story mo- memory? And I couldn't really think of one. But then I thought of a. I thought maybe the most appropriate thing is if I awarded a jaddy to you. To the first twenty minutes of every studio conversation we've ever had. What does that mean? Means when we sit down in these studio sessions. Yeah. As you know, they go on for hours and hours sometimes if we're tracking a story or if we're interviewing somebody. And sometimes these interviews are three or four together. So we're sitting in these seats for like four hours sometimes. But the first 20 minutes of of every time we sit down, we just start. Oh, they're just like, they're they're not radio parts. They're just making noises together parts. Yeah, Yeah. it's, um, I was thinking about, and it drives, I mean, all the, it drives all the producers crazy, except for Soren, who has come to love it and understand it at this point. Because most of the time we're like, oh, we got to get these things done. But then you and I sit and we just banter for 20 minutes before we actually start working. Mm-hmm. And it's always this really important moment in uh, not just my day, but it's like this, um, it's always these really important calibrating moments for me. What do you mean? Well, it's like uh, I walk into the studio with all of these problems in my head. Right. Problems of the stories I'm trying to solve and the things I'm trying to edit. And all the cobwebby things. All the cobwebs and maybe there's somebody unhappy and there are meetings that I haven't prepared for and it's all kind of in there. And then we sit down and for 20 minutes we start to banter. And it's friendly banter. But there's always like 15 minutes in or 18 minutes in there's a moment where I feel the shift in me. And I discover that I was like, oh, this is really fun. You're like, we have so much fun together. And I discover it's almost like relearning, being reborn every single time. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's such a joy and a pleasure to do this with you. And you've always served that role for me where in in those 20 minutes, you remind me that to have delight and joy and and it's like you you know it's like I'm that way too but I forget yeah, right and you've always served this role to remind me you're the guy who reminds me also I kind of noticed at a certain point that um, I noticed at a certain point that what was really making the show work for the audience was probably a little bit less what the subjects were because I'm not sure there was a ravenous interest in you know physics and philosophy and all these things but when two people are having real fun Mm. it's sort of like a warm fire or something people just want to sort of sit next to it and i i like that i like that that um this is true whatever else may be going on it's like Mm -hmm. trying to manufacture Mm -hmm. it but this is true like we are really we are really engaged here, and there's something just nice about it. Yeah. It's funny. True is an interesting word, too, because I I, I think about, 
like we often talk about play, like we want to have, it should be, we, what we do is should be playful. Yeah. And the show has gotten darker over the years, right? Yeah. And so it's become uh, this, this conversation we're always having, which is like, let's embrace that sense of play and joy and let's bring that back onto the air. You know, so much of our early stuff was that. And then we sort of started to tiptoe into other territories. But I, um, I feel like what's been always been really inspiring is that you commit to the act of playing in a way that feels like it's actually deeply connected to truth in some way. Yeah, it might. If it ever feels dead, it's not true in some way. And uh, or at least, at least one of the things about whatever it is you're staring at, one of the things that you might want to go for is, yes, there might be something wrong you need to know or something scary that you need to deal with or mm. something um, that makes you angry that you, need to, that you need to confront. But it seems to me that the thing that most people like to hear is they like to hear all those feelings mm-hmm. translated into a kind of, oh, no, and then into a small, quiet, grab of the hand, like under the table, like, it's okay, or we'll do this together, or whatever. And laughter is just such an enormously powerful part of that. Like, it asks you to stay, and it gives you um, a little courage, really. Well, yeah, it's like sometimes people write it off as whimsy, but I don't think it's that at all. I think it's actually much more. It's like being playful is so much more important than playing. In some way. Yeah, and particularly if you're going to get very serious about something, probably the hardest but most beautiful way to get serious about it is to giggle your way in. However, yeah. It's not the normal way to do it, but if you can, you bring a much bigger group and you bring, for some reason, a little bit more attention. And key, key is people stay a little bit longer. Right. So I, I, was, I would like to award you, Bobby, a jaddy, <laughs> <laughs> for all of those moments that you have actually fought like hell to protect the play. Mm-hmm. And it happens with me personally at the beginning of every interview. For 20 minutes, we just kind of talk and we banter. And I click back into that understanding mm-hmm. every time. And then the studio happens. And so I feel it's somehow it's been an important part of my my journey with you is that you keep reminding me of that. That's nice. I, if I was, if I thought this out better, I would have given you a statuette of some kind. Uh-huh. I was thinking maybe I, it would be a statuette of like a Pied Piper or something. Mm. No, you know, it's like well, you I'm not I, leading you. You come right. You like no, I know, yeah. I know, but it's like something like that. It's mm-hmm. like a little. So no, I, a, ja- a jad should be a jad should be a jaddy. A, a jaddy should be a somewhat humble, if not actually ugly. For uh, see, I I feel <laughs> Oscar. Is this this sleek sort of golden thing? I don't even think it's a human. I don't know. I mean, it's called by a human name, but what is that? A Bobby is a wilting sort of sad old sad guy. <laughs> Have you guy. ever given a statuette of, of a Bobby? I've no, I've drawn one. I've never. There's no actual physical representatives of it. No, mm. it's too beautiful for for materiality. It just it can't be made <laughs> in the real world. I don't think the world would crack if Bobby actually got made. But Bobby in the imagination is a sort of kind of bald, paunchy statue. So that's just Bobby. And I you know, I think you With should think of Jaddy in those in the same terms. Like Jad didn't be 
It shouldn't be muscular or sleek. Or, it should be like something that's tired. Tired. And wants to, and He's just want, looking down at his shoes. Looking down at his shoes. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> He's that's a right. shoegazer. That's right. A shoegazer yes. jaddy. So that's my jaddy award. Okay. Um, Thank you. I'm, I'm humbled. So I, I, that's pretty much it. Um, it's been really nice getting to look back on all this stuff with you. Yeah, it's been an interesting, you know, really, this thing, that's, to do this for this long and to have, you know, think about all the things we've gotten to sort of get to think about. Like, um, yeah. It's that's crazy. mostly been self-assigned. Like, you know, a decade just looking up any old thing that just interested you yeah. and then getting to play with your mind like this. And then, and maybe the most beautiful part is you know, sometimes you get really irritated at the audiences because they're so stuck on what they know and expect, and sometimes they can be a very conservative part of what you do. But then sometimes you meet them, you know, as you're walking around. And one of the coolest things, because in television, you're walking across the street and someone thinks, oh, I know them from summer camp or from the elevator or something. Yeah. I've seen them before. Yeah. Or they know that you're on TV, but they say, yo, I saw you on TV. Mm -hmm. And that's like a compliment, I guess. But with Radiolab, it's been, hi, oh, thank you for what you do. I do have an argument, though, with the <laughs> thing you did about cell, and I thought, you remember that, and you have an opinion about it, yeah. and you want to keep that conversation going? For, for someone who does this because you kind of want to expand, you want to leave the universe in people's heads a little bit bigger than where you find them, then to actually meet them and they say, I'm bigger. I listen to this thing and I'm bigger. Yeah. And thank that's you. Nice that's the it. nicest, yeah. the nicest thing, the nicest thank you that there is. Yeah. If you're trying to give yourself a crown, I can't think of a better one really. Called uh I listened and you made a difference to me. Thank you. That just that sequence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. Yeah. Thank you, my friend. You're welcome. You guys might want to um, sign off. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it's not. I mean, let's be. Let's be. Let's just think about this for a second uh -huh. before we sign off. Mm -hmm. This isn't going to be the last time. Well, no, it can't be because we're going to be we run all those back rerunning, like, yes. rerunning stuff, and so you're going to be around. Yeah. And. I take you at your word when you say that you'll drop in and we'll, we'll do an yeah, adventure no. every so often. Every so often, why not? Yeah, yeah. Because there'll be something that occurs to me and I'll just call you yeah. up and say, what about... And then we'll... And, you know, pr pr assuming it has nothing to do with snail sex, I'd say, sure, I, that you know, sounds maybe great. Maybe my first seven calls why should be not? about snail sex. Well, I'll just... Uh, <clears throat> no, you I'll might. Just be, well, you uh, should never take the position... Getting my hair done You should those never days. say never, Jad, even to snail sex. Well, all right, all right. For you, Robert, I'll keep my mind open <laughs> to the snails. Never says never to snail sex. But all this is to say, it's not a goodbye. No. It's a see around a little bit see less. That's right. Um, that's right. Except during reruns. And except when you come and hang out. That's right. So, all right. Except breakfast and stuff. Yeah. There, there's They're not coming there's to that. that. They don't get to hear they don't that get, part. No. Okay. Okay. I'm Jad Abumrad. I'm Robert Krolwich. Thank, thank you, Robert. And thank you all for listening. Yeah.
Hey, one more thing. Um, next week, we actually have the beginning of something really special. Uh, we have a the first in a six-part series uh, from our producer, Latif Nasser. He's been working on this story. He and Susie Lechtenberg, executive producer here, have been reporting this story for three years. It is incredible. With a very startling premise. Yes. And that's actually, let me just say one last thing before I leave the room. Please. It is one of the pleasures of having done this is that like the people who have come here since you and I came here are uh, bursting with experiments and ideas and the things they want to do are so sharp. And mm-hmm. I just, uh, it is a source of enormous pride to me that in a way we've only just begun, which yeah. I, yeah. Well, I, and it's also like you have imprinted on Latif. I know that for sure. I tried. And, and so we yeah. are, we, we all, you are in all of us at this point. Okay. So. That's right. Let's bring this to a halt. Yes. Okay. okay. Sorry. Okay. Well, yes, yeah, so that's coming up next week, six part series. Uh, until then, thank you, Robert. You're welcome. And thank you everybody for listening. Hi, this is Ruben. Water sliding in 30-degree weather in Pennsylvania. Radio Lab is created by Chad Abumrod with Robert Krolich and produced by Soren Wheeler. Dalen Keefe is our director of sound design. Susie Lechtenberg is our executive producer. Our staff includes Simon Adler, Becca Bressler, Rachel Kusick, David Gebbels, Bethel Hafty, Tracy Hunt, Matt Kilty, Annie McEwen, Lockett Nasser, Sarah Kari, Ariana Wack, Pat Walters, and Molly Webster. With help from Shima Oliayi, W. Harry Fortuna, Sarah Schoenbach, Melissa O'Donnell, Tad Davis, and Russell Gregg. Our fact checker is Michelle Harris. 